Are we, are we live now? I'm recording. You're Mom listening to Mumbrella Cast. Mumbrella, Mumbrella Cast. Cast. Welcome to the Mumbrella Cast. I'm Damien Francis. And I'm Brittany Rigby. This week on the Mumbrella Cast, I'll be speaking with Beverly McGarvey and Rod Prosser about TENS Upfront's event. And later, I will chat to 3AW Breakfast host and Gruen panellist Russell Howcroft about his radio rating success. Well, I don't, I, I certainly didn't expect it. I don't think anyone, anyone expected it. The return of Gruen. Advertising changes every single day. Yeah, but every day there's something new. And the three things agencies should be thinking about right now. They absolutely have got to be focused in on mental health. But first, this week's topics. Everything you need to know about 10 in 2021, plus Tourism Australia and Hamish and Zoe Foster-Blake want you to holiday here this year. But will it work? 10 hosted its upfront presentations this afternoon, wedged between 9, which held its presentation a couple of weeks ago, and before 7's run next week. The main announcements included the addition of Flybys Data and Content Carousel for advertisers on 10 Play, and three new shows, Making It, The Doghouse, and First Inventors. Britt, interestingly, the embargo for these announcements lifted before the presentation itself. Why do you think this wasn't, and did it pay off? Yeah, it was an interesting one. So when I got the releases earlier in the week before I chatted to Bev and Rod, which is coming up in the episode, the embargo said, 3am this morning. And I was so sure that that had to be a typo. And so we went back and forth a few times and I was like, is it definitely not 3pm after the upfronts? Very worried that I would hit publish or schedule something too early. But no, it was 3am, which I'm sure has something to do with Viacom CBS being based in the US, them wanting to kind of have American audiences see it as well. And while at first I thought, hmm, a bit strange to not be talking directly and first to media buyers about your announcements before the, the media covers it. I think it actually worked for 10 and having just seen the presentation, I can see why they did it. I think 10 is always very known for its shiny reels, its very slick production values. It knows how to show off its content and that really came through and I think if they had have spent more time digging into the details of the the content carousel, for example, on 10 Play or digging into the flybys addition to its data stack, perhaps it would have felt a little bit less shiny and fun and entertaining than what it did. I mean, you were watching two demo. We had Amanda Keller and the people from the living room dressed up as characters from The Wizard of Oz. We had Osha dressed up as the Wizard of Oz himself. It was it was really good. It it had a narrative. It felt like, you know, we got back to the theme at the end. And the appearances from kind of their commercial execs like Bev McGarvey and Rod Prosser were kind of short and sharp and really well directed. So at first I was like, this is strange. We're going to be telling the market first what their announcements are before them but I think in hindsight it worked. It was interesting wasn't it because in essence we've got a full day of 10 coverage uh, amongst the trade media starting from this morning with multiple articles into the upfronts themselves great production values like you said Britt. Was there anything missing from that lineup anything that caught your eye there? 
look, my one, just to go back to the the timing for a second, my one thought was media buyers, it's an extremely busy time of year for them. Would reading the announcements and getting all the info they need this morning beforehand, could they possibly justify not watching? That was one question I had, whether or not it may be skipped by some. In terms of anything that was missing, I was looking through the release and noticed that Bachelor in Paradise wasn't mentioned. So the franchise is definitely coming back. They mentioned The Bachelor, they mentioned The Bachelorette, but no Bachelor in Paradise. And I thought, I wonder if the presentation will kind of add anything to that. No mention of it in the presentation either that we've just seen, no hype reels related to The Bachelor in Paradise. And I did just have 10 confirm that it is taking a rest in 2021. So they've said that it will still be back in 2022. It's not canned altogether, but they're not running it next year, which I thought was interesting off the back of some quite low ratings this year for it. The Upfronts presentation went for around an hour. Nines was lovely and concise, I believe, Tim Burroughs actually said it was one of his favourites of all time, potentially. What should we be expecting from Seven soon? Is this the throwdown to give us a 45-minute piece and some information before the presentation? I think regardless of what Nine and Ten have done, Seven would be kind of silly to be planning anything longer than an hour anyway, in my view. I think the the pro of virtual events and the pro that we've been hearing both the industry and the networks themselves talk about is that not only can you send out a lot more online invites than you can necessarily squeeze into into one room even if it is at a big convention center or fox studios but you can also make it really short and sharp because you are not going to hold people's attention as long as you would face to face so look i'd be expecting a similar length next week with seven between 45 and an hour that's that's what I'm hoping for at least and sticking with 10 next up Brittany will be chatting with Beverly McGarvey and Rod Prosser Joining me now on the Mumbrella cast are Beverly McGarvey, Chief Content Officer and Executive Vice President of Viacom CBS Australia and New Zealand, and Rod Prosser, TENS Chief Sales Officer. Welcome, Bev and Rod. Thank you. Thanks for having us. It's upfront season, but it's upfront season in a very strange year. Is there anything you hope to announce today that the pandemic put a stop to or a pause on? I think we have had um, quite a few months now of becoming experienced at working with the pandemic. So we have great announcements for our schedule for 2021, a very strong, consistent returning schedule with some new shows. And I think um, all of those shows have had a little twist for COVID, but we really haven't been prevented from doing anything. We had a few things that moved around a bit, but I think um, really now I would say our business is moving forward in an environment where COVID is just um, kind of business as usual and we're working around it. Did you have anything to add to that, Rod? Yeah, sure. I mean, we've had a extremely uh, busy 12 months um, since we last stood in front of everyone and spoke about the year ahead. I think there's, there's, a, there's a lot of exciting um, sales initiatives that we're still realising that we announced 12 months ago. 
I think the key the key message that that we'll be talking to our advertising partners is um, whilst we're we're in a very uncertain year this year, the one thing that that we really lent into is a real considered and consecutive uh, schedule, which was super consistent, which um, has been you know I, I think for us. Um, really, really strong in terms of messaging. So there's not going to be a whole heap of changes. There's some some nice and nice announcements um, around what we're doing with our um, BVOD platform and our premium um, offering, which is which is really exciting. And of course, um, you know we've had a lot of uh, focus uh, on our um, our creative services area. Imagine, so we're reimagining Imagine and um, and uh, putting a lot of um, investment into that area because we really found it was a space where um, there was when there's a lot of uncertainty, particularly around creative and TVC productions. Um, our advertising partners were able to lean on us in that space. Two announcements were the 10 Play content carousel, which puts advertisers on the 10 Play homepage and the addition of flybys to your data stack. What does that mean for advertisers? Yeah, it's really exciting, in fact. Um, look, as I just mentioned, um, the premium um, BVOD space is, um, is, is really something we're focusing on. I think that we want to be the clear leaders um, and innovators in that area. We obviously launched uh, uh, our premium pause offering, which was powered by the UI technology, and that has been super successful across the last 12 months. Um, and it's had really great pickup with advertisers. So the evolution of um, of that offering is the content carousel, which really allows advertisers to integrate heavily into the connected TV environment and put their messages and brand um, front and centre. So we'll, we'll take that to market uh, fairly soon. Um, and some, some advertisers have had a sneak peek and uh, the feedback so far has been uh, really, really strong. The flybys um, announcement is 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 really one of a rounding out of our um, data offering. You know, look, we, I was quite open and honest twelve months ago to say we were we were slight, slightly late to the to the data party, so to speak. Um, but there's there's obviously advantages uh, with that. So. You know, there's the last mover advantage, I guess. So, you know, look, we've we've really spent a lot of time over the last 12 months um, accelerating those those data plans. And the flybys um, partnership is is a crucial one because one, it rounds out, as I said, the the um, existing uh, roadmap that been that we've been working on. But it really importantly, it gives us a a really deep and robust. Um, uh, data set which has huge scale, obviously over eight million subscribers, um, which you know, which is really obviously critical when when you're talking to to advertisers that want a really um, uh, deep and uh, large data pool to to pull from. There's three new shows on the slate for next year: The Doghouse, Making It, and The First Inventors. What do those shows bring to Ten? Well, I think the important thing for us is you know, we want a consistent fun schedule that our audience and our clients want. And we do have that with all of our big shows, our celebrities and Survivor, MasterChef, Bachelor, Mass Singer, etc., etc. So in adding new shows to the slate, they each do something different. Making it is a big entertainment franchise in the way that MasterChef or Cake Boss or Lego Master is. It's that sort of, um, it's a competitive reality show but it's also fun it's hosted by comedians it's about crafting um 
And it can be about crafting in that you make your own Christmas card or you make an amazing installation for your flash house. So it's quite the range, but it really is just meant to be aspirational, inspirational and fun. And also it's important for us to have shows at all stages of the life cycle. So making it will obviously be year one. Um, amazing race massing are in year two. We've got shows in year five, six, you know, all of those types of things. And of course, MasterChef um, is a, you know, very mature legacy brand. So making it does that. Doghouse is a utility player. It's a beautiful show. It'll play later in the week. And really, we just want to have some flexibility with our schedules so that we have some content that can do a really solid job for family audiences in a safe environment, you know, be family friendly. We can play it anywhere. And that's what the Doghouse will do. We played a UK version earlier this year. It did great business. And in the UK, it's a big hit. And then obviously, First Inventors is something different to all of that. And in the last couple of years, we've had Todd Sampson's Body Hack. We've also had things like Taboo. And it's important for us to add texture to the schedule. So as well as the big entertainment shows, the big reality shows, and the drama like Five Bedrooms and the comedies like Having Pen Attention and Gogglebox, that we have some high-end documentary, um, you know, popular documentary that appeals to our audience just so that we really are full service and we complement all of that news and entertainment content with something that's a little bit different and something that differentiates us from, you know, what our competitors may be doing. So really that's why those three shows, we do have a very strong returning schedule. So we wanted to be sure that we utilised our new shows in three very particular ways. Mm. You mentioned that returning schedule, Bev, and I noticed that it was a smaller list of new shows than what perhaps we've seen in other years or what perhaps other networks are offering up. Does that go to show, though, that you're confident in what you've already got and that you know it will continue to perform next year? Um, we are confident in what we have and we are returning virtually everything. Also, it is not a definitive list. So we will have announcements about new Australian originals for Paramount Plus later in the year. We also have some scripted announcements to make, particularly in the children's space. Um, so really, you know, the upfront that we're, you know, that we're doing at the moment is about selling um, 10 our big platforms, our big channels, but there will still be other announcements to come over the next sort of three to six months. Obviously, we want just to get the key messaging out there so that our clients and audiences know what to expect. So there will still be other things to come. It's not it's not definitive, really. We didn't want to talk at everybody for two hours. Yeah, I think if I can add if I can add something there, I think from from um, from a sales point of view. You know the, the the really exciting part is that we're walking into to a year that that will be somewhat different. Um, you know we had some um, shows that were produced overseas, and uh, you know that that for us um, presented some some challenges. Getting um, Clyde's product and so forth overseas isn't is, isn't an easy feat. So you know the really exciting thing I, I think from from a commercial point of view is is integration is going to be a whole heap easier for us. Um, in 2021, given that given the shows are largely produced here locally. I might get an answer from each of you on this one. What's the one announcement that you hope marketers and agencies are most excited about? Oh, it's always hard just to say one, but if I'm gonna if I'm gonna pick a favorite, I'd, I'd like to call out um, the Viacom CBS Consumer Insights area. You know, look, Viacom have got such huge uh, pedigree in that space with their with their youthful channels. Um, so you know it was really important for us to 
to uh, to dial that up and particularly given, you know, we're quite vocal about being, you know, the network with the demographics and a high percentage of um, the under 50s uh, sit on our network. So, you know, it was really important that we um, quantified that and, and and provide our advertising partners with with a with deep knowledge of um, what those demographics are doing and how what their consumer behaviors are so with the introduction of um, the Viacom CBS consumer insights division here locally will mean that we will just have access to you know one those those um, hugely talented people um, but secondly um, a wealth of um, historical uh, research projects and um, and and a lot of um, you know current ones and, and it equally it lets us talk to our partners um, about anything bespoke that they wanted to wanted to uh, do with us. How about you, Bev? Um, I think I'm going to cheat slightly because my answer might cover too many things. But I think if there was one thing that everyone could take away is the scale of our offering across the board, so that we have a great range of local Australian content on our linear channels. We have, you know, our parent company spends 18 billion Australian dollars um, on content globally. And we have a phenomenal pipeline of content coming through to our linear channels, our pay channels and to um, our SVOD and AVOD services. So really, for me, it's just about that scale and the size of our offering in this market and how that unique pipeline coming to us really differentiates us and as well as that we have the great local content so I think if people could walk away thinking one thing it's that across our channels and platforms we are we have a great range of content both local and international which is a bit of a cheat answer because I kind of said everything it's not really one thing I'll accept it. Thank you. you mentioned not wanting to talk at people for two hours through a screen how did the virtual format this year change how you thought about delivering your presentation? Do you think you lost anything there? Look, I'm I'm not sure. I think we, of course, we've lost we we, we lost some things. I think the the, the power of face to face will always be there. Um, having said that, there's there's other gains that, that that possibly we didn't think of before. One of that is one of those is I should say is um, that we've been able to to reach a lot more people. Um, so you know there's only a certain amount of people that you can you can fit into the IAC um, um, building. So here here this this allows us to to you know uh, you know send out um, thousands and thousands of invites. And in fact, the pickups being been sensational so we are reaching a lot more people which has been a great advantage i don't think in terms of um you know missing anything in terms of the presentation i don't think that that's the case i think that in fact you know we've always tried to do our upfronts um, differently and have some fun so there, there, there's going to be that that there's obviously it was that um, upfront and of course um of course you know we had some experience early in the year which which um really helped us as we evaluated what we were going to do um, through this upfront. You recently launched a new multi-channel, Tenshake. How are you feeling about its performance so far and have you received any feedback from the market? Um, we're very happy with how it's launched. It was really exciting for us to kind of fill out that last piece of the puzzle. You know, Rod and I both talk extensively about servicing under 50 audiences, and that has been true for many years. But that very youngest end of that demographic is something that um, we really needed to expand upon. For, so Sheik allows us to do that. Um, the growth 
um, has been quite quick. So, you know, the, the growth in daytime has happened very quickly. It'll take people time to find it. But, or, you know, that first couple of weeks, the audience already doubled for things like Paw Patrol. So I think we are very happy. Um, we still need to see more growth in prime time. But as I said, it's been a few weeks and we're really at the beginning of something that um, will be, you know, a long process. And also, I think, you know, we could have launched a multi-channel a number of years ago. We didn't want to do it just for the sake of it and add more general entertainment into our um, kind of platform of channels. So Bold has had, you know, 20 months of growth. Um, Peach is doing really well and has had a lot of growth this year, particularly in the last few months since we put Big Bang on there. And now we have added Shake, which really super serves that very youngest end of the demographic. So it's a very tactical and strategic decision to put that channel there. So I think um, we're, we're very happy with how it's going and it really gives us a very differentiated and precise group of channels, um, which is important. So, and I think that's obviously important to Rod as well in terms of clients. Yeah, it's a really great question. Look, we're extremely happy happy with it, mm-hmm. um, particularly from a commercial point of view. We've had, um, you know, a lot of um, clients that, that, are, that are wanting to target the younger demographic um, sort of come on board really quickly, which, which has been excellent. So the pickup's been really good. Um, first and foremost, the, the channel looks great. Um, and the content on there is is outstanding, and obviously we pull that from the various parts of the Viacom CBS business. Um, and the market feedback to date's been been really good. And commercially, um, you know, it, it it had to be right. And I'm pleased to say that you know what what we're seeing to date um, is that it was the right thing to do. So I expect some big things um, from Shake next year. And and I think for all accounts, from what I'm hearing, people are enjoying it. You're middle of the pack this year when it comes to order of upfronts presentations. We're imagining that Seven will continue to kind of focus on reviving its content, which James Warburton's been quite vocal about. Nine obviously continue to stress that it's a newspaper and a radio company, not just a TV company. Thinking about 10, both in 2020 and moving into 2021, do you think you're position in the market has changed at all this year in terms of what you want to be known for? Um, I think, you know, to my previous point, I think it's important for us to be known as a local company, but we're a local company with a very big global entertainment brand as a parent company. And, you know, the strength of having brands like Showtime and Paramount and CBS, Nickelodeon, MTV, Comedy Central, having all that content available to us and the formats and all of the things that exist within that greater ecosystem is really important. Also, in terms of being an entertainment company, of course, we're a broadcaster. We have linear channels. We have a pay TV business. We have a consumer products business, a live events business. So I think it's important for us to be known uh, as a as a broader entertainment company. And of course, our broadcasting assets are critical and integral to that. But we are bigger than that, both locally and globally. And I think that's that's the important message for us um, moving forward. You know, look, I think we we um, are really privileged to, to be part of the Viacom CBS business. I think that that scale gives us obvious advantages. Um, some of those I've spoken about, particularly around that um, the Viacom CBS consumer insights. You know, our positioning will continue to say that we, we are the experts in the under 50s. We do have a larger percentage of those core 
um, key buyer demographics on, on, on our channels. Therefore, there's a lot less wastage um, and importantly, a lot less duplication um, when you put um, the 10 network into, into the mix. So look, our positioning is one of consistency next year. I think that's really important, particularly as we're going to what I think will be, you know, another uncertain year. Um, we've got a consistent slate of, of known content. Of course, there's some, some exciting announcements which which um, we've now told everyone about. Um, but, you know, I think that's that, that I think next year will be really important for, for a lot of brands and advertisers to have just a consistent safe bet. That mention of Viacom CBS leads me perfectly into my final question, which is obviously that transaction CBS, which is now Viacom CBS purchasing 10 in 2017. How has that relationship evolved over time and how does that kind of work you referring to the US, working with the US, collaborating with the US? Um, well, it's it's been actually, it's been a great experience for us. So obviously for the first number of years, we did report into the US. We had a, um, a management structure which saw us reporting into LA. We now report into um, a UK cluster. Um, so we're part of the same cluster as, for example, Channel 5, which is obviously um, a free air broadcaster and they have a range of assets in the UK which are very similar to ours. It, it's really, um, it's great for us to be able to be tapped into a global creative company and all, all that that brings with it. Um, it, you know, it gives us lots of benefits that we've talked about in terms of content and formats. Um, and also from Rod's point of view, gives us, you know, access to things like their um, kind of proprietary dig digital technology. So I think it's been a really interesting few years for us. Obviously, over the last number of years, tens, we've had a number of changes of structure and management, etc. But um, we're in a period now where we've had a year of consolidation and you know, the synergies are starting to happen. So I think we're moving into a period that we can really reap the benefit of the, you know, the synergy and the global scale. Um, look, it's it's been a it's been a great relationship from 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 day one. And of course, you know, CBS knew a lot about our business um, because they distributed their um, content into our business. Um, but you know, as that that business has um, merged with Viacom, it, it's given us a whole heap of um, strength. You know, they, they, these guys are in 183 countries. You know, there's the the the, um, the reach of their content is is in the billions. So, you know, I think for certainly for us, the the relationship one was really sound, and now I think that the the opportunity that that is presented to us and lays ahead of us is how do we how do we really capitalize on on the that that scale and that strength that Firecom CBS have. Thank you so much, Bev and Rod, for joining us. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Next, Hamish Blake and Zoe Foster Blake call for you to holiday here this year. It's the final days to score your tickets for Mumbrella's Sports Marketing Virtual Summit. Level up your sports marketing game with top insights from leading industry MVPs on Wednesday, October 21. You'll hear from the likes of KO, Tennis Australia, Media Monks, Publicist Sport and Entertainment, Silver Bullet, the Ironman Group, and many more. Secure your e-tickets today for as little as $55. Go to mumbrella.com.au slash sports for more information. This week saw Tourism Australia kick off its domestic tourism marketing efforts once more with a campaign starring Hamish Blake and Zoe Foster Blake. 
The campaign expands on the Holiday Here This Year platform, which was launched in January in response to the bushfire crisis and encourages Australians to explore the country ahead of the summer holidays. So, I need a holiday. Do you? Yeah. <laughs> For Australia. What about the outback? Yes, yes. We could catch our own lunch. I know exactly what you mean. Oh, honey, I could teach the kids to surf. You don't know how to surf. Yeah, I mean, obviously, someone would teach me and then I would pass on the wisdom to them. You know what? Maybe, um... We have a fancy night in, you know, for Australia. Brit, the campaign comes at a time when state border closures are still being debated between premiers and with many still not looking to be opening any time soon, do you think the campaign has come at the right time? Look, timing was the first thing I thought about when I watched this campaign and when I thought about it. The fact that it's fronted by Hamish Blake and Zoe Foster-Blake when they're both in Melbourne, very much not able to kind of practice what they preach and go exploring around the country was really interesting. And I think even, you know, we're based in New South Wales, New South Wales travel is a very different thing at the moment to interstate travel. And I think that's the big risk. I mean, Tourism Australia had to pull their very expensive, very shiny Kylie Minogue mate song campaign earlier in the year because of the bushfire crisis, which popped up and meant that, you know, the British couldn't come over here or it wasn't necessarily the best idea to. And similarly, it feels like a very uncertain time to be saying really definitively, go out and book your holidays. In saying that, it's kind of now or never if you're going to do something this year where we're about to get to the summer break, people will be taking time off from work, whether or not it's, you know, to go traveling or otherwise. And so maybe just putting the idea in people's heads, hey, if you've got, you know, leave over Christmas, if your office is shutting down, it's been a hard year for everyone, you know, is there somewhere that you can go even if it's close to home? So I was a little bit split on the timing. I think it's it's risky. I note that France has gone back into lockdown and, you know, the reason or one of the reasons quoted for that was because people were a little bit more complacent over the summer and it meant that things didn't keep going as well there as what they had. I think that's something that obviously Australia's government is going to be very mindful of heading into our summer period and particularly, you know, with the holiday makers spreading out and not just staying at home. So, look, we'll we'll see how it goes in terms of whether or not people can keep social distancing and keep on their best behaviour. But I also think, yeah, if they had to do something this year, they had to do it now. There's also the challenge to brands and marketers, of course, that when the market is down, the argument from some quarters is you should be spending. That's when you should be doing your best marketing work. Having a look at the domestic travel statistics, Australian residents, uh, according to the National Visitor Survey results uh, for the June quarter, that was down uh, 80% for overnight spend, down 67% for overnight trips, and down 62% for nights on a trip. Um, That's millions and millions and millions of dollars that's not being pushed into the, the travel and tourism industry. It almost feels like there had to be something done now, mixed with the fact that we've all been in lockdown or in a strange state of being for such a long time that 
at the first opportunity of being able to book something or spend the money that you hopefully still do have, it's gone into getting away from the house or apartment uh, or whatever your abode that you've been in for the last few months. And even if it's just an hour down the road doing that, everyone from the travel and tourism industry now seems to be a lot more active. There were obviously big losses in the industry as well around that March-April period where agencies lost some big clients, uh, brands lost a lot of good people. Uh, you All you have to do is look at national carrier like Qantas, see what's happened with Virgin, Tiger Air, look what's happened with the hotels and accommodation. So this, in a sense, seems like uh, an opportunistic move which had to happen and hopefully now with cases starting to plateau a bit in Victoria as well, which is great, that could see this potential risk pay off substantially. Britt, I'd love to know what you've been hearing in the market. How is the industry uh accepted this campaign what have the thoughts been around that i think cautious optimism is how i would describe the industry at the moment generally and i think that extends to this campaign as well i mean you're right the answer isn't just stop advertising stop pushing i think you made a really good point about you know whether or not people still have the money to spend on travel it's been a strange year in terms of people's disposable incomes. But then on the other hand, you had people, you know, rush to buy those plane tickets that the plane didn't really go anywhere, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of dollars, just to have a sense of I'm going out and I'm doing something. So I think, you know, agencies, marketers, you have to keep pushing through and almost hoping for the best in terms of COVID. And I think you're right that, you know, if they can recover even a little bit over the summer break and COVID cases stay down, I think it points to better things and a better market in 2021. I would love to see this become the start of the rebound of domestic travel in particular, which also then leads to a few more clients for agencies, a bit more brand work, some more marketing positions in the industry. That would be fantastic. Next. Brittany chats to Russell Howcroft. Joining me now on the Mumbrella cast is successful ad man and now, according to the first survey at least, successful radio man, Russell Howcroft. Welcome, Russell. Hi, Brittany. Nice to be with you. There's no other place to start really, other than that first radio survey, which was also the first that the industry saw since April because of COVID-19. Russell, your show with Ross Stevenson was up an enormous 8.8 percentage points for a 26.1% share. Did you expect it and how does it feel? Well, I don't, I, I certainly didn't expect it. I don't think anyone, anyone expected it. Um, in fact, I got a wonderful text from Tim Burrows, um, he is a, he, as you know, is a big follower of radio ratings, and um, he said to me that he'd never seen anything like that. Um, and so, if anyone would know, he would know. Um, so, no, I, I certainly wasn't expecting that to be the case. Um, interestingly, the the actual rating is a bit better than that as well, because 
Um, that number goes is actually up till nine o'clock, and our show finishes at eight thirty. So I think it's more like twenty seven point four. Wow, impressive! I I think you know I, we've never seen anything like it either. Like you see a couple of percentage point jumps, perhaps when there's a new hosting lineup, people are curious, they'll tune in because of that. Eight point eight points is something else. Is there anything that you can kind of attribute that to? What are you thinking about when you think of that result? Well, all all talk radio went up. Um, so there was definitely a, a shift to um, to the a shift to the conversation. And I think that people were expecting that to happen. Um, but happening to the degree that it did, yeah, that, that was definitely a, a surprise. Um I did think that people would tune in. Um, there, there may have been some AW listeners from the past that, you know, over time weren't listening as often. Um, and because of Gruen, um, I, was hope, I was hoping that there would also be some new listeners. Um, the really good thing about that is that if I, if I helped um, bring in some people to have a listen, they then get to listen to Ross Stevenson, Brittany. Now, I don't know whether you've had a listen to Ross Stevenson, but he is a dead set radio genius. So, um, uh, and I think that that's really what um, occurred. Uh, people have they've said, hang on a second, I'll, I'll, okay, I'll give this a try. As a result of giving it a try, they do get to hear Ross. And as a result of hearing him, they say, wow, this is some talent. Um, and he genuinely is some talent. You joined at the start of August and... When that news came out, you were talking about how 20 years ago or so you fantasised about being on radio and being in that role. Two months on, is it living up to the fantasy? Uh, making that show is a joy. So the, the, the three hours of radio from 5.30 in the morning to 8.30 in the morning, it's actually fascinating. The, the, the public of Melbourne and Victoria, the public... Many of them see it as their show. It very much is their show. They are actively dialing in and engaging in the conversation. Um, and that's something that I've always admired about the show. Uh, it is very friendly. Um, it, it doesn't take itself too seriously. And it's inviting. Um, and the result is you get to have some really funny conversations with with uh, the public um, and they get they get really involved in it so yeah it, it, it is it is what I thought it would be um, in that I thought I would enjoy it um, what is difficult is your body clock there's no question that, that does that is hard um, and I would suggest I'm still getting used to it um, I, and look, I've never liked daylight. I've never ever liked daylight savings. I've never actually understood what the hell daylight. I mean, here's a question, Brittany: Who is daylight savings actually good for? Look, it's a good question. Not me. I've I've very much struggled adapting. It's a, it's like I just don't even understand who is it good for. So I've never liked it. You can ha- you can imagine how much I don't like it now, Brittany. I <laughs> I can imagine that. You talking about conversing with the people of Melbourne is interesting because my next question is that at PwC, where you were Chief Creative Officer, you were talking to the C-suite. 
now you're talking to the people of Melbourne. What's yeah. the difference? <laughs> no, there's no difference. There's no difference because in, in the end it's all about ideas. Um, so when I was, um, yeah, when I was speaking uh, in, my, in the PwC partner context, it was always about ideas um, and that's what, you know, the, the great thing about this uh, breakfast radio, talkback radio, it's, it's, it's uh, citizen radio, it's social media really, you know, the original social media. Um, it's ideas that people get excited about. Yeah? And, and when thinking about what stories you might want to talk about on, you know, on any given day, it's the stories which have got an idea in them. Yeah, so that, that's, yeah, so I, I don't see it as being a whole lot different. And, of course, I do get to talk about ads occasionally as well. Um, and as you know, I love doing that. You're talking to Melbourne at what's an incredibly difficult time for that city particularly. Of course, it's faced longer and harsher lockdowns than a lot of the rest of the country has. What do the people of Melbourne need from you and Ross right now? <laughs> well, they do need to be informed. Yeah, so you, you, you can't walk away from what's going on, but equally um, you have to, well, you don't have to, we want to, and hopefully we do, entertain. Um, it, it's, it's actually interesting, isn't it, Brittany? It's a very sticky show as well. Like the, the, time, the time spent with the show is, is significant. And, um, yes, we inform, but um, we also entertain. There's a lot of trivia in the show as well. Uh, there's a lot of nonsense uh, there's a lot of fun. They get their sport. They get uh, the, the the listener um, at, at 25 past six. There's John Anderson comes on. And John Anderson is a brilliant Herald Sun sport journalist. He's just got an incredible sport mind. He knows a lot about what's going on in the world of sport. Um, and then he comes on again at 25 minutes past seven. Um, so we've got our sport. Um, obviously, we also have the news, as you would imagine, um, at the at the top of the hour. You, you would expect that. Um, we have uh, our correspondent in America. We have our correspondent in Britain. We have our correspondent who talks to us about what's going on in the world of crime, which, as you know, is a big part of Melbourne. Um, so, you know, we cover a lot of bases. And I, I suppose that, well, that would definitely contribute to why people enjoy it. Mm. It's not your first foray into media. Of course, you were executive general manager of 10 for a few years before the PwC job. Has being back on the media side, though, changed how you're thinking about media spend? I've heard you and Tom Malone, Nine Radio Boss, talk about, you know, the investment in Talkback Radio. Is there enough investment in Talkback Radio? Well, obviously the answer is no, Brittany. <laughs> it, it, I mean, look at the numbers. So I think it... Um, uh, Seven minutes past seven on 3AW, Monday to Friday, probably 300,000 people are listening um, and your cost per thousand is not very high. So there's a, there really is a good opportunity. And, there, and of course, the other really good thing about um, talk radio is that the advertising, the advertisers, they do become part of the program. Um, people don't use the ads to switch. They, they, they become a part of the the total package. Um, it's a, actually it's a very powerful medium for advertisers, and um, a lot of direct advertisers, of course, get involved with um, with talk radio. And direct adver advertisers often radio will be the only mainstream, you know, the only traditional media that they'll use. 
they obviously are on digital platforms, but they'll use, simply will use radio. So they have a very strong handle on the ROI of their advertising, yeah? So they're not, they're, they're not dealing with the media mix that a, that a um, you know, big corporate age, uh, advertiser who's got a media, media agency advising, you know, they're not dealing with that. They've just got to, they have a direct response, response to their work uh, and they and obviously they love it as a result, and they you know there's lots of long term advertisers involved in talkback radio for that very reason. Mm. How does Nine Radio communicate that better? Then I mean, Tom alone spoken about kind of refreshing talk radio and getting people to understand its value. How how do you do that? Yeah, trade marketing is a huge part of um, certainly when I was back at Network Ten, we worked we worked very hard at our trade marketing. Um, you know. Literally every single day, we would be getting messages out. Um, it, one of the one of the things that I think that media generally could do better is um, is case studies around advertisers. So, you know, yes, TV show, you know, TV show X had a million people watching it. What's actually interesting for the advertiser is the advertiser within that show. How many chickens did they sell? And so. I do think that, um, you know, as a general statement, I think that all media could do a better job at actually showing, demonstrating the client case studies rather than just doing your your reach numbers, yeah, your audience numbers. What about the sales numbers of the advertisers that are investing in your platform? That's that, There is an opportunity there for sure. How much do you think you being there will help with that? Obviously, you understand advertising deeply advertisers know you and trust you, do you think that that'll help in terms of getting advertisers on board at Nine Radio? I hope so. I hope so, Brittany, yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I like to talk to clients about the numbers, yeah, so um, talk to the clients about the audience, size of the audience, the demography of the audience, talk to them about the reach, talk to them about the ROI, give them some case studies around some other advertisers. So, you know, it's... It's sort of tried and true method, you know. There's there's nothing new to what what to what would be articulated, but um, you know, I love having those conversations with advertisers. It's a it's what I've always enjoyed. Let's go to Gruen. You mentioned it before, and of course, it's probably the role that you're most widely known for. It returned this week, and for yeah. the first time in more than a decade, it doesn't have a live audience. How much did that change things for you and the final product? Yeah, well, it will change things for sure. Um, it's interesting, isn't it? Because the show does not involve audience participation. So, um, you know, my role, I sit at the desk and I answer and my head is turned to the right um, because, you know, the, my co-panel members are to the right of me and I answer questions that are posed to me by Will and um, engage in a conversation with the other panellists. So there isn't, there isn't any literal interaction with the audience, but obviously there's a vibe. And, um, you know, how many Gruens have we made? More than 100, 100, I don't know, probably close to 120. And the audience is basically full every single time. They all get um, a Will Anderson stand-up show. He does the warm-up beforehand. They, they get that for free, <laughs> right? 
and I have a good laugh. Everyone has a good laugh. So, yeah, we'll, we'll miss that. We'll miss that. As I understand it as well, it's shot up in Sydney, right? So how does that work for you down in Melbourne at the moment? How did you go filming the season this year? Yeah, so um, that's weird as well. <laughs> the good news is the um, the public are used to that now, right? So, you know, if you watch, say, the project, for example, um, you'll be used to Steve Price being on a TV screen that's sort of, that's sort of part of the panel or have you been paying attention um, uh, America's Got Talent, um, you know, so the public is now used to um, screens as well as uh, or screens appearing in replacement of the actual physical person. What can we expect from this season? It's a year in which undoubtedly the biggest story for advertising, like it is for most industries, is COVID and the impact yeah. that's had. What can we look forward to? What can we expect? Well, you know what? It's just going to be it's searching for the the great, the, the good, the bad and the ugly, right? That's uh, it's what Gruen, the reason why, I think one of the reasons why Gruen has been able to have, make so many shows is that advertising changes every single day. Yeah? That every day there's something new. For example, the two and a half minute Subway commercial that I've just watched. Um, I don't know whether you've seen that yet or not, but it's quite extraordinary. Um, or the Optus, it all starts with yes. Um, they're stunning COVID-inspired um, um, Optus ad. So it, it, it's this, always the same, really, isn't it, in that the culture of the day does play a role in the communication that's created. So, you know, the cultural truth, uh, you know, there's always an intersection of the brand truth, the human truth, the, the cultural truth. The brand truth often doesn't change, probably shouldn't change, human truth probably shouldn't change, but the cultural truth does. And so we, we have got a different uh, a, a culture truth going on right now and you can imagine lots of communication takes that into account. There's going to be, I would imagine, you know, plenty of government communication discussed because, um, you know, they've, they've used the power, the governments have used the power of advertising uh, in order to get out their message. And, and, you know, earlier on in COVID I was asked about that and I said, well, it's just not possible for them to spend too much money. They should just, right, just keep going and keep going relentlessly, consistently. Um, it's it's really important. And non-English speaking backgrounds, wow, huge amount of effort has been put into, into that messaging. And, again, I don't know that you could ever do enough. It's the question I have to ask, particularly because you're now in media. We've just spoken about ratings. How do you hope that Gruen will rate this year? <laughs> I hope it goes tremendously well. <laughs> Back to COVID for a moment. How do you think that Adland has responded generally? Are there agencies or examples, you mentioned a couple of ads there, that you think have done it really well and have really kind of set the benchmark? Uh, that, that's, a, that's a terrific question. I own, you know what, I'm close to one agency now. Um, yeah, and... Uh, and from what I can tell, the Thinkerbell guys have done extremely well. Um, they are busy um, and they're busy building their business in both the Sydney or Thinkerbell North and Thinkerbell South, as they call us. Um, and their work, they, they, they've, they're finding ways to deal with the production process um, with all the COVID restrictions um, 
and they've been cracking that and doing a good job of that as well. Um, it's been interesting to watch the retailers. Um, I like the fact that they've kept advertising. That's good. Um, it's obviously the the digitization of businesses has been really fascinating to watch. Um, I read the other day was it a uh, was it a Deloitte study uh, where they said the 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 pre COVID pace of digitization. Um, we have if if you if you say that is the pace of digitization. We got where we were going to get in, in five years. We got there in eight weeks. Wow. Yeah. So that digitization has been very interesting to have a look at as well. Um, I've been doing a bit of work with Hard Hat, uh, another digital shop um, with Right Brain Workout, um, a, a book that I did with Alex Wadalton last year. We've got another edition coming out this Christmas. So I've been working with those guys. They seem to be doing well as well. And um, – I've helped my son start a creative consultancy. He's he and two uh, mates have just started a consultancy called Good Ones, um, and they're they're going to do well. Three young fellas. It's a good thing that's come out. Another interesting thing that's come out of COVID. If you're 22, it's going to be hard to get a job. So why not start a business? Keeping it in the family. Yeah, right. And um, so I'm enjoying helping them as well. Look, I think you'd have the best chance of success if your dad is Russell Howcroft. <laughs> what do you think agencies should be focused on right now? If you had to pick three things, what do they need to be thinking about moving into next year? Yeah, that's a, okay. So apart from the obvious, which is mental health, right, they absolutely have got to be focused in on mental health and that connection, not getting too tired. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure all of us are exhausted. Um, it's it, it, This is a very tiring and draining thing to do. Um, making sure that they're connected when, they, when they're able to be physically connected, I think that that will just be so wonderful for them. Um, then they'll just, have to, they'll just have to be careful they don't get too excited and drink too much, Brittany. But... Um, Focus, of course, as ever, on the idea. Focus on the client. Focus on giving the client long-term ideas, ideas that are baked into their business forever. Um, I, 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 it's one of the things I, I suppose as time has gone on, I've realised that a lot of what we do in the advertising business is about trying to find that new idea when, in fact, maybe the idea that's right already, already exists. <laughs> so scrutinise the idea that you've got for your client because it might be the right one and then double down on it, right? I mean, that's a big part of getting stuff right. It's also really interesting to think about clients and their money, um, work out how you can help them spend their money best. Um, I've, I've really enjoyed in my last few years at PwC helping clients with their argument to spend more. Um, as you know, um, from 2008 to this year, not very many budgets grew, um, and and yet we know advertising works. So if advertising works, why would you spend less? So there's a really strong argument that needs to be made to every client to double their budget. And spend more on talk radio apparently. Well, just spend more money on advertising. And um, if, if talk radio gets its fair share, then um, the budget will go up because um, advertising will play a role in energising our economy. I think that the budget, as in the federal government budget, was really exciting. It was really exciting. 
the the innovation, you know, investment in innovation in R and D, some of the changes in the tax system, um, huge opportunities for Australia to you know create a new economy. That's really what we should be trying to do. Um, and advertising will play a big role in getting consumers up and running. We need them spending money. We need them on the streets. We need them going to cinemas, restaurants. We need them spending money. <laughs> Otherwise, you know, the GDP will keep going the wrong way. To finish back at 3AW, Talkback hosts can sit in those seats for a long, long time. So your predecessor, John Burns, he was there for more than 20, 20. years. Ross yep. Stevenson's been there for 30. Alan Jones was around for 35. Is this where we can expect to see Russell Howcroft for the next couple of decades? Wow, Brittany. We'll have to wait and see, won't we? Um, certainly right now it's, uh, it's thoroughly enjoyable. Um, I've got no intention of going anywhere soon. Thank you so much for joining us, Russell. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And that's it for this week. But before we go, recently Mumbrella 360 Reconnected revealed its full program with sessions from local and international industry leaders. We're delighted to confirm that WPP AUNZ CEO and Managing Director Jens Monsees has been announced on the bill as is three-time world surfing champion Mick Fanning. Check out the full program and book your tickets now for the most valuable virtual conference yet, running from November 17 to 20. Go to mumbrella.com.au forward slash mumbrella360 for more information. And if you haven't already, be sure to tune in to the special episode of the Mumbrella Cast, which launched on Tuesday, featuring a chat between Mumbrella's Tim Burrows and S4 Capital's Sir Martin Sorrell. You'll find it in your Mumbrella Cast feed. That's it for this week, though. Thanks very much for joining me, Brittany. Thanks, Damo.